This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, a pack of pipers is headed to China. And a seismic study bolsters Santa Monica Airport's role. Also, friends up north, watch out for that avgas. And the future of flight might include a $2 million payout. All right, David, that sounds good to me. You ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts... Ian Twombly and David Tulis. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And uh, David, you spoke to one of our colleagues as a guest this week. I did. We talked to Sarah Diener and her husband, Matt, and they have some really interesting things to say and some great tips for parents of young children that are going to use general aviation for a flyout. All right. Yeah, you and I have been there, so we know what that's like. Exactly. And they, yeah. they really um, they have some great information. They went flying uh, with their daughter, Naomi. She's about a year and a half old, I think. Yeah. The way they prepped Naomi is really worth listening to. Oh, cool. All right, great. I know people always have lots of questions about that, so I'll be really interested to hear. Also, just one quick announcement before we start. If uh, you've been to an AOPA flying in the past or thinking about going again this year, registration is now open. That's right. Registration's open on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Cool. And we have four fly-ins this year. First in Missoula, Montana, June 15th and 16th. Mm-hmm. Santa Fe, New Mexico, September 14th and 15th. Carbondale, Illinois, October 5th and 6th. And we wind it up at Gulf Shores, Alabama, October 26th and 27th. All right. And our, I know our folks have been to a number of those locations already scouting, and uh, they have great things to say. Really excited about them. Very cool stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So one thing you're going to see at, at uh, one of these finds is, of course, pipers. Uh-huh. Uh, lots of pipers always. Now, if you're in China, maybe you haven't seen a lot of pipers in the past, but that's going to change because they just, man, did they ink a huge order at the Singapore Air Show. It's a historical deal for Piper Aircraft, and uh, and it's really worth mentioning in because 152 training aircraft are headed to China. That was announced at the Singapore Air Show recently, mm-hmm. and uh, it tops anything that they've ever had for any kind of training order in the past. And, and we're talking about a company with 80 years of history. Yeah, it's huge. So 152 airplanes, that's including 100 archers. 50 Seminoles, which is really interesting. That's a lot. Yeah, one Seneca, 
and uh, a Piper M350. So one of those. And yeah. it's going to uh, tr- training specialist Fan May Aviation Technologies. Yeah. And uh, this is really interesting. I did a little research for the story, and uh, what struck me was the, uh, the fact that, and this hasn't really been uh, talked about all that much, but a RAND Corporation study found that China really needed to change their, uh, their whole aviation infrastructure for GA. Yeah. And so this is yet another indicator that they're headed in that direction, yeah. opening up things like altitude restrictions and other licensing requirements that will really help jumpstart GA in China. Yeah. I know if you talk to folks who have been there about GA in China, there's lots of excitement, lots of investment, but they're saying uh, it's still a long ways away, in part because they didn't have a lot of GA airplanes, no training infrastructure. Right. And so, yeah, it seems like that is starting to change a bit. This is a pretty good announcement for Piper, and uh, now I'm impressed with that. And then these uh, these Archer airplanes, they're the Archer TX, and they have the mm-hmm. advanced uh, cockpit technology. So that'll be real easy for pilots to get involved with GA and actually move their way up to a career pilot opportunity. Yeah, which of course is what, what all this is about. And uh, you know, this is the kind of order when you're talking about this is going to over seven years they're going to produce these airplanes. I mean, that's the amount of stability for a small company Fort like Piper that. Piper and Vero yeah. Beach. That's it's really huge. it's really helpful to them. Yeah. So my question is this: so they have all these pilots and they're going to have all these aircraft. Mm-hmm. Then are 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 they going to are they going to like recruit people from the United States that are pilots here to go and fly in China? Yeah, you know, I I bet what you're going to see is they'll they'll recruit advisors probably uh-huh. to help them jumpstart the operation. Yeah. Um, but no, to me this is all about you know training homegrown pilots, okay. Chinese pilots. I know there are lots of Americans who fly there now and make, they, really there are. Yeah, big bucks and but that's just because they can't find Chinese pilots because they don't have the infrastructure. Now the other side of the coin in the training environment is that a lot of folks from overseas come to the USA for mm-hmm. training. Yeah, that's so right. So this kind of flips that a little bit. Yeah, I I think what we'll find, I mean the US is still such a great place to train and is that center of training around the world, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if over the next few years we see that shift where they start to train more in country, so do a little less of the training in Arizona and California yeah. and Florida and uh, and Texas and and do it all Probably though, with American-made airplanes, they'll uh-huh. just be doing it in their home country. And there are there are plenty of online opportunities right now for for online learning. Yeah, and then just take your uh, your final bit of training and your licensing, you know, in, in this in the states or somewhere that's a little bit more favorable. Yeah. So uh, moving on, I want to talk about Santa Monica. We haven't talked about that in a couple of months. As the Santa Monica Airport turns. Yeah. Now this one, this is an interesting turn. We've talked a little bit about Santa Monica as an infrastructure resource. You know, we, right. AOPA talks about that a lot as airports. You know, I think some folks in communities, they don't, maybe they don't even know the airport is there. Or if they do, they think, oh, it's just a bunch of rich pilots. But, uh-huh. you know, we forget it's it's a massive infrastructure benefit for towns to have these, these strips. It is. Yeah. And so Santa Monica, they've done a study where they found that a really unique infrastructure benefit and disaster relief benefit. I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but the Alquist... Priolo Earthquake Fault Zone map, and these are maps that are published uh, over in uh, California, identifies that the Los Angeles Basin area really is ripe for an earthquake, uh, and we've known that for quite a while, but it would severely affect Beverly Hills, Culver City, Los Angeles, Napa, Santa Monica, Vallejo, and West Hollywood. Mm. So Santa Monica Airport is a strategic resource that's located strategically and um, and would be a key reliever in any kind of disaster relief effort. Yeah. And interestingly, I guess there's a, a law out there in California that says, uh, related to this map, that says that um, you can't occupy human structures on these fault 
lines. On an active fault line. That's yeah. right. And the active fault line it goes in the in the middle of most of these populated areas in yeah. California. Yeah. So so if they if the airport was ever to close, which we are opposed to, mm-hmm. um, then you theoretically could not build anything on it. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be kind of interesting because um, that's obviously what they want to do with the with the uh, yeah, and it could be a lifesaver resource land. for bringing. Uh, just think about the hurricanes that we had recently. Oh yeah, also Ian, we had you saw uh, that firsthand, and we had the wildfires out in California, and a GA reliever airport um, played a big role in in wildfire um, battling processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's yet an- another thing to think about. There's a really cool picture. I want to give a quick shout out to Mark Holtzman of West Coast Aerial Photography, and um, on our website story, it just shows the the location of the Santa Monica Airport and uh, and the community surrounding it. Yeah, and just how encroached it is and how congested it is. It there. is, and that yeah. and that's one reason why it's been in battle for so long. Yeah. So uh, moving on, as far away from Santa Monica as you can get, which is the wilds of most of Canada, you know, we, we don't talk a lot about the transition away from 100 low lead. Um, and when we do, it's usually kind of a technology story. But this is interesting because I think it showcases – really the volatility of the supply because it's such a small produced fuel. It is. Yeah, and that is that um, the folks in Canada right now, GA pilots, are dealing with with a major problem with the Hunter Lowled supply. Yeah, this story just broke uh, just as we're recording the podcast. This story just broke um, yesterday, and we have a, a little um, online article that, that Dan Nimowitz wrote. But there's some contaminated 100 low lead fuel in Canada. And um, first, I was thinking, well, okay, um, that could be a problem for anyone who's you know refilling their their aircraft with fuel. Mm-hmm. And the the question would be, when did it get contaminated? How do you test for it? And if you need fuel, how will you know if the airport you're going to or leaving from has fuel. Yeah. That's that's worth using. Yeah, and so there's one refinery in Canada that makes 100 low lead and uh, they had an issue with a batch and and amazingly they actually the refinery says if it's a batch that you've received since December 28. Uh-huh. So you're talking weeks that it, people have it's been It's about 2 months now. Yeah. Um they say don't use it and they have to test it and they don't even they one of the things that they say about this is like there is no replacement plan yet well that's because it takes a long time to get the avgas into the holding tanks at these airports yeah and uh and, and just like you said you know the whole infrastructure is just kind of topsy turvy right now yeah so if you were a canadian pilot what would you do? Yeah, so right now, uh, you'd you'd sit, you'd wait. Well, I'd definitely check notums. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great point actually. Because a lot of uh, a lot of places probably had this fuel, didn't know it, and are now that they do know it, going to start issuing notums saying that uh, they don't have fuel available. And so, I wouldn't be surprised at, at widespread shortages of fuel for uh, hundred low lead in Canada. Already seeing sporadic, but I think it's going to become more widespread in the next couple. Yeah, of Yeah, and the next question would be: I wonder how long it would take to ramp up and and get back into the regular production cycle with yeah. the uncontaminated fuel. Yeah, that doesn't mean that there it's all contaminated, but you you do need to double check, double check availability, and uh, and always check notice before you fly. Yeah, we should say before we leave this that there haven't been any uh, reports of no, accidents no reports, right. or anything else yet. And apparently what they found was that there was some sort of conductivity issue that um, interfered with fuel gauges. So still more to come on exactly what the problem was, what the uh, impacts are in terms of uh, the safety of the flight. Now, before we leave the story, I'm going to put you on the spot. Now, you've, you've flown more internationally than me. Okay. Is it still a notum is in the Canadian uh, air uh Regulations is still referred to as something like a notum. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, yeah, it's it's basically it's a notum. Yeah, a, a notice to airmen. Okay, yeah, like an ICAO thing. I okay. don't know. Somebody correct us if that's wrong, but yeah, that's my understanding. All right, cool yeah. deal. All right, so um, want to talk about the future flight a little bit? Oh man, I want to enter this contest. 
<laughs> you want some quick money, man, I some do. fast money. I do. Uh, this is so cool. You know, there have been all kinds of X prizes over time. I mean, all the you know, early air races that uh, advanced yeah. airplanes and made them faster and farther and higher. That's um, right. Lindbergh, I mean, all these. There's, there's the VinFizz, which is something I wrote about as a cross-country flight as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. there's cash behind these things, and that drives innovation. And so we're seeing that again now with the GoFly Prize. Yeah, this GoFly Prize is really neat. Now, let's get out of the way right at the beginning that AOPA is, is a, a minor partner with this. Okay. The premier sponsor is Boeing. Yeah. The first deadline is coming up on April 18th. I want people to know about it, but look at goflyprize.com for more details. But what we're trying to do is open up the air to folks who will bring to the table the next major technological revolution for personal flight. Hmm. And so we're talking about these, and, and we've talked about a few of the specific technologies, but these are these sort of intra-city, VTOL. Vertical um, takeoff and landing. Yeah. Part of the requirements for the uh, GoFly Prize is that you need to design a vertical takeoff and landing personal flying device that is capable of carrying a single person hmm. for 20 miles. Okay. Yeah. So the kind of stuff we've been talking about, parking garage to rooftop or yeah. whatever. In, in our day, David, back in the bad the, old days. The Jetsons. Uh, yeah. You know, VTOL, we just called those helicopters. Uh, that's right. You know. <laughs> VTOL. That is true. Yeah. It would be so cool to come up with something like this. So the first stage of the contest, phase one, runs till April 18th. And all you need to do, I talked to Gwen Leiter, the CEO. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is write something down on paper. This oh. is not like you. It's not like you got to make a model. You don't have to fashion anything. You have to go to the CNC place or anything okay. like that. Just write it down and come up with a plan. Hmm. And if you have friends or teammates, get them on board too. Yeah. Now I see along those lines, a bunch of colleges have gotten yeah. in this, which is really cool. At least eighty colleges are on board, yeah. and this is for folks who are eighteen and older. But it also could include retired folks, professional folks, you know, anyone like that. Hmm. And uh, Gwen told me that there will be something uh, rolled out. For the science, technology, engineering, and math crowd of high school and middle school students, too, okay. at some point in the future. Yeah, very cool. So that's the first phase. They're going to look at the designs, and then there are some smaller awards at the, at the end of that first phase. Well, the first phase you get, there are going to be 10 prizes worth 20000 bucks each. Okay. So my math isn't all that great, but that sounds like $200,000, right? Sounds right 10, to me. 20 times 10. <laughs> and then um, phase two is a vertical takeoff and landing demonstration. And I believe this could be with a model. Okay. And uh, that deadline is in March 28th of 2019. Mm. So that's a whole year away so from the, year to from the first your, deadline. Uh, your proof of concept. Right. Okay. There'll be four $50,000 prizes to go with that. Nice. And then phase three is a final fly-off. Now, that's October 1st, 2019, Ian. So mark that on your calendar because you could win a million dollars if you're judged by aviation experts and others that you have the best combo of speed, noise, and size. Hmm. Fascinating. This is really going to be a cool thing. Yeah. You know, there. I mean, and it sounds a little bit, you mentioned the Jetsons, it sounds a little bit Jetsons-like, but we've already seen some of these demonstrators fly. So right. we know the technology is possible. And this just helps push it forward that next step, gets it over the hump maybe. So why do you think that all of a sudden that they, that we have this kind of initiative? What do you think has combined to make this something that people could even think about doing, the average person? Uh, that's a great question. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, electric technology. That's right. You know, we've talked about this a little bit. It's like cars have made it 
between the Prius and the Tesla and others, you know, the Volt the, and, and the, breakthrough, the Bolt. The breakthrough in battery technology. Yeah, exactly. So, so not only is the technology now a little more viable, but I think there's been some consumer acceptance of electric as, as a really viable technology. I think technology. so, too. And yeah. people want to go green. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so uh, and, uh, Gwen uh, mentioned advances in the economy and control and stability systems, which a lot of that is borrowed from the drone world. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And uh, 3D printers. Yep. And which the price has come down a lot to yep, do cheap, that. Uh, and, cheap prototyping. Yeah, and rapid fabrication. So these yep. all these things converging uh, makes it sort of like the perfect time for this type of prize initiative. Yeah, and I would, and I'll say, you know, it doesn't hurt that there's a little bit of, uh, I, I suppose, maybe it sounds a little cynical to say hysteria. I mean, I, I mean that sort of in a good way, you know, excitement. I suppose you could say. But um, when a name like Uber gets attached to it, when right. they started looking at this, it's like people start to pay attention. Yeah, because you know it's serious. Yeah, and and people from outside the community start to look at it, and investors and you know venture capital and stuff. And you're like, oh well, if Uber's interested, maybe we're looking at something real yeah, here. Yeah, it sounds like we're headed down that road. Yeah, and, and the contest is really kind of cool, Ian, because. It's, it's not just putting uh, contestants out there with no backup and support, but there really is a very robust master and mentor platform that folks can tap into. Oh, wow. And there'll be discussions. There's Q&As. There's a lot of good information with folks from Boeing, uh, the Lockheed Skunk Works, other heavy hitters that are right there to help people out and help fashion that idea and move it forward. Hmm, that's great. And I know I, sh- I should say it's like for all the people who are excited and kind of pushing forward, it's like I hear just as many people are like, no, never going to work, stupid idea, why are we wasting our time and money? But uh, I-, I don't know. Well, I think there'll be some infrastructure uh, things that would need to be addressed, such yes. as airspace. And oh, how yeah. do you combine all these different operations, especially knowing that Amazon and uh, and other firms are going to you know try to do more deliveries with drones and things like that. Mm-hmm. So everyone's got to share that airspace a little bit better. Yeah. Um, that's one thing, that one hurdle to think about. And, you know, just looking at... At the street you live on, or where I live, there's like you know there are, are traffic wires and, and 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 lights and stuff. Yeah. So thinking about really restructuring what's on the ground and make it a little bit safer to go up and down. Yeah, still lots to work out there. All right. So speaking of infrastructure, uh, let's talk about ATC, the ATC giveaway right. to a, a private corporation. With no oversight, uh, you know, they say it's nonprofit, but it's like we know how it works. We're talking about the budget. Trump's budget was released, uh, I think it was last week. That's right. And uh, it includes, despite the fact that this has gone nowhere in Congress, it does include, again, the ATC giveaway to a private corporation. One thing that I think we should say that's positive here is that immediately folks are saying uh, it's irrelevant as soon as it's out. Well, and in uh, Bloomberg, the wire service said that there's strong bipartisan opposition in Congress, Yeah, which is for us, for pilots, that's a good thing to note. Yeah, But um, it's a very complicated thing. There's no doubt that we need infrastructure improvements, Yeah, but the next-gen system is actually on track. Yeah. Now, and you're, you're picking up these the airline talking points, which just I just think are so rich, which is, you know, they, they go through a cycle of talking points and we debunk them piece by piece and then right. they move on to something else. Well, one of the one of the latest for them is, well, we need improvements. We need infrastructure improvements and modernization. And it's like, we agree. Nobody says that we don't need modernization, but we certainly don't need to give away ATC for that to happen. No, that's a um, $100 billion giveaway. Yeah. And the other thing is that the airlines are really behind the times with embracing this new technology like ADSB, yeah. which you can have in your GA cockpit now for, you know, two or three grand, five mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. which AOPA it was, a, you know, was a huge instigator to get that price down. Yeah. But just one one quick note here, there are forty about 47 
27,000 U.S. registered aircraft equipped with ADSB. Yeah, how many of those are airlines? Well, there are uh, 1,542 registered to U.S. air carriers. <laughs> Now they're now. Oh part, man, we need, but we need modernization. <laughs> right. I don't understand. Well, the other side of the modernization <laughs> is that it's not so. It's it's a funding issue that you know things were going ahead and going ahead, but when you have a government shutdown like we had two recently, then all of a sudden there is no money to do anything, much less research. Yeah. But so. we're finding next gen is on schedule. It did have some hiccups early on. Absolutely yeah. no question. Right. That's been turned around. It's on schedule. It's deployed. GA pilots are adopting it. The airlines are not. Uh, and so this has nothing to do with modernization and everything to do with control. It does. It does. And uh, and that, that panel of 13 folks for this privatization deal, and then yeah. GA would have, I think, one seat on that. Yeah. And, and there's just so many GA operations now that it's just, I mean, that's really the proving ground for the air carriers. Mm-hmm. I don't get why they don't understand that. Yeah. I don't either. But I just think that they want you know, an outsized control on the on the process where because it's in Congress now and yeah. GA numbers are so strong and GA pilots are so active, we have a lot of influence. They've been very vocal and they've been speaking out about it. They've been calling their representatives, their senators hundreds of thousands of times. And uh, and, and really, it, it really hasn't gone anywhere. This has been brought up several times in the past couple of years. And one thing to note is that uh, Chairman Schuster from the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, I believe he is retiring, he if is. I'm not you know, incorrect, yeah. incorrect yeah. with that. So after the election, we'll have a new and, leadership there. And there's been strong opposition to, to even his plan. So there are so many reasons to not do this. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I agree completely. All right, let's talk about flying. Let's talk about going out there and going somewhere. Okay. Bringing your family along, having fun. Give me a little bit of insight about the conversation. What did you guys talk about with Sarah and Matt? Well, I'll tell you it was really cool. They're going to tell us uh, um, in a minute about how they prepped their uh, daughter Naomi for the for the flight. Mm-hmm. And Naomi is, you know, a toddler. Mm-hmm. And um, they did some really cool things to get her used to the noise and the vibrations and things like that. And they also timed it correctly so that she'd be taking a nap when they oh, took off. smart. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Sarah and Matt Diener. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about how to travel with children. I know that you guys just came back from a pretty cool camping trip over the fall, right? Yeah, yeah. it was great. Tell us a little bit about Sarah. How did you prepare for that trip, first of all? Well, um, so Naomi was 13 or 14 months at the time. And so when we first started talking about the trip I hadn't flown in about a year and a half. Whenever you don't fly for a little while, you sort of get psyched out, like, what skills have I lost in that time? But it turned out, you know, it was fairly easy getting back into flying. I did my flight review. Um, Being at AOPA, we have access to, you know, people who run the Rusty Pilots program. So it was, I worked with Chris Moser and, and got caught up on the flying. And um, one thing that I wanted to do was move up from the, Cessna 172 to the 182. It could carry more weight. Um, It could carry more weight, and we were planning on camping. And also the last time that Matt and I had gone flying together, we got a really bumpy ride, um, and I didn't want to... Oh, do so, that to him again. So 182 is a little bit smoother ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, it holds more stuff. Yeah. It's a better bet for family camping, that kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Also for the car seat. Uh, you know, those car seats now are pretty bulky. Uh-huh. Um, so it's easy to, or easier to get it in the back. Now, how, yeah. old, how old was Naomi when y'all went? 
She was 13 months. Okay. So her birthday was just in August, and, and this trip was in September. Yep. All right, so uh, you got checked out. Were you a rusty pilot to begin with? Uh, well, it had been about a year and a half. So, okay. yeah, that's a rusty pilot. So I got my flight review um, and got up to speed on that. You know, the hardest part, I think, was getting all the insurance and all the paperwork done to, yeah. <laughs> to fly the airplanes. So you got all that squared away, and then you all had an idea to go on this you know, pretty cool family trip. Now, who picked the destination? I suggested it. I have family in Ohio. My my mom grew up in Ohio, and some of her siblings are still there. And her sister had invited us to come meet them just across the water. And Put-in Bay seemed like a pretty cool general aviation destination yeah. um, because it's got an island airport, and there's a couple other islands nearby that also have airports. So where is it? Is it like near Lake Erie or something? It's in Lake Erie. Yeah. So that's pretty up there. That's it a is. way. It's a ways from Frederick, Maryland. Uh, well, it's not as far by general aviation. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, that was the clincher. So this was Naomi's first flight, and it was going to be a three hour trip. So we were a little nervous, right. but uh, initially, but we we're both kind of that mentality. You know, yes, people. So we we'll find a way to get it done. We just needed to needed to make it happen. So when and Sarah brought it up, there was a lot of those questions: How are we going to fly there? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with the baby? You know, how, was she going to be okay in a car seat? Was she going to be okay in the plane at all? That kind of thing. So. Uh huh. Yeah. So now, so Matt, and uh, you're not a pilot yet. We're, <laughs> right. We're working on right. you for that. Pilot in training. Yeah. So <laughs> what? So uh, what were some of your responsibilities on this on this trip? On like say for the preparation part. So preparation was uh, primarily packing. Was was getting all the gear together. What were we going to need for? We were. Sarah was focused on flying, uh-huh. so I was focused on surviving the rest of the trip. And it's a different camping trip for me. So I'm Army, and my background is, is infantry, so light infantry, so woods. I you know, spent a lot of time. So when Sarah said we were going for a camping trip in Ohio with the baby via plane, I immediately could have thought of 400 pounds worth of gear. Oh, uh-huh, sure. Um, or the other way, so 50 pounds worth of gear, but it was going to be tough for everybody. Right. Uh, but with the baby, we don't have that choice. So my mind immediately started thinking about 100 different things that we would need for Naomi. Uh-huh. And, but we had a weight capacity to think about, so that made it a little more challenging. So it was all about figuring out what was at the destination. And the destination made the whole trip come together. And uh, going with the baby and with the family, that was super important because we had to worry about how were we going to travel, what were we going to eat, where were we going to take care of personal hygiene, uh, right. where were we going to sleep, what was that going to be like, and, and all the emergencies that could happen with a baby. If anything happened to the child, what were we going to do? So I had to think about, you know, Sarah was taking care of flights, so I was all packing. That's pretty cool, uh, you know, way to divide up the responsibilities, I think, as, as parents. And a lot of us have gone flying with our children. I, I went flying with my daughter, Lauren, when I was back in Atlanta in my Mooney, and she really enjoyed it. She was, you know, a little bit older, uh, maybe two or three when we first went for big out-of-town trips that she remembered. And you're right. There's a lot to think about, including, you know, buckling in the, the car seat, that kind of thing, uh, you know, plus all the stuff to keep a baby or a little child um, occupied. What did y'all do to keep Naomi occupied on the flight? So we had the other issue was flying over water. So okay. we had to think about life vests and that kind of thing. So that, that played a part in what we packed. Okay. Um, but getting Naomi used to all of that. So we had to get her used to the uh, the headset. Uh-huh. And uh, getting her used to the headset was kind of worked out well. So Sarah bought a headset for her. 
um, ear protection. So we put the ear protection on her whenever I would mow the lawn mm-hmm. uh, throughout the summer. So Sarah, some of the preparations, so Sarah's working on getting back in the plane and getting qualified again. I've got Naomi getting used to all the apparatuses that she's going to have to wear, headset, life vest, et cetera. So we did that. That's pretty cool, Sarah. That's interesting. While Matt was doing that and getting Naomi up to speed on, you know, handling the different things. Like, for instance, that's a pretty bulky thing on a little child's head. Um, You're out, you know, getting your lessons and checking the logbook, probably doing a little pre-flight planning, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Tell tell us a little bit about that. What, What was going through your mind when he was doing all this other stuff? Well, part of it is, you know, there's a lot of extra pressure when you have your family. You want everything to go really well. And it was our first trip, the three of us. Um, And the last trip we had been on was, like I said, bumpy. So I didn't want to have a repeat of that um, because I think there's a lot of opportunity to fly as a family where a six-hour drive becomes a three-hour flight. um, And then maybe we, you know, go more places and get to spend more time there. So um, leading up to that, I, I, I sort of went through some contingencies. You know, ideally we'd be cruising at a pretty high altitude so that we could get over the Class B airspace uh-huh. on the way. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, if the clouds were lower, maybe we just wouldn't go because you know, if we went around the Class B, it would go longer. If we went through the Class B, maybe it would just be really busy. And ultimately it didn't really matter because the skies were completely clear. The it was whole a nice way. weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, nice there week. and back. It was calm, beautiful. Couldn't have asked for anything better. You spent a significant amount of time in briefing, for lack of a better term, uh, in briefing me as a pre-flight mm-hmm. as to what was going to happen and, and, and all the contingencies in the air uh, that I needed yeah. to be prepared for so that I could help if need. That's a good point. And also, Sarah, I know that you uh, solicited some advice from your flying family, too, mm-hmm. with some tips. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, people had different sort of different ideas of what makes us a successful trip with kids. You know, some people told me to bring stuff for kids to drink so that it'll help clear their ears going up and down. Right, a little sippy cup, something like that. The Cessna 182 in the rear, um, if you close the vents, it gets a lot quieter. Uh So to cut down on the noise, especially because... You know, even if we practice with her, she might pull the ear protection Oh, off. easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's common. Um, and then I, I got the tip to fly at 12,500 feet so they go to sleep. <laughs> Put her to sleep. <laughs> I don't think you did that, though, did uh, you? No, we didn't, uh, <laughs> although I was assured that it's safe. Uh, right. That's pretty <laughs> wasn't funny. I not quite sure. Yeah, I th- when I went flying with Lauren, we, you know, in, in the, the southeast, you know, three to 5,000 feet is pretty common. Mm-hmm. And again, as a pilot with any passenger, the first thing you're thinking about, your passenger's safety and their comfort. Right. So right. that's really a key thing. Plus, with a little, you know, with a child, they can't really tell you too much if something's yeah. wrong or, or not going the right way. Um, now, let's skip ahead a little bit to, um, to the airport and the landing, because now you said you were a little bit rusty to begin with, mm-hmm. and you guys were approaching this airport, and it's in Ohio on uh, Lake Erie, and it's very picturesque. It's, it's Put-In Bay. What are the name of the islands, by the way? Um, they're the Bass Islands. Okay. So Put-In Bay is actually on South Bass Island, mm-hmm. um, but people generally just call it Put-In Bay, and the airport is Put-In Bay Airport. Okay. So it's a cool airport, and now you're up there, and you've, you've gone through all these hurdles to get there and you're in the landing pattern take us through that (laughs) well so um like i said i got up to speed but a lot of the um airports around here are you know runways a mile long Uh and um putting bay's airport is a little bit shorter it's got displaced thresholds on both Mm -hmm. ends and i had checked the weather at a nearby airport 
um, and it said calm winds. So I set up for, I think it's runway two one. And I was just, you know, coming in high and fast. And so I went around. I had talked to Matt about, you know, what a go around is and when we would do it. So he wasn't really too surprised, I hope. No, yeah, I wasn't surprised <laughs> at all. In fact, I thought she, we were sightseeing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, see, that's cool. That as a pilot in command, you made a really good decision, made it early, and uh, your passengers didn't know anything you know, was out of the norm. Well, Perfect. and Na- Naomi especially didn't know because she was still asleep. Right. <laughs> All right, so you, so you did a, a go-around first time. Mm-hmm. And it's a 2,800-foot runway, so it's a little bit short. Yeah. So I did another one before I sort of figured out that I should look at the windsock, uh-huh. um, which I think, you know, part of that's just having a lot of pressure from having precious cargo, as they say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I figured it out and set up for the right runway and it was it was fine after that but i was pretty embarrassed <laughs> taxiing in when my whole family was waiting but now you, uh, you have a little quote here in your story what uncle carl you remember what uncle carl said to you oh he asked us why we'd uh, done those low passes <laughs> <laughs> so again he thought you were just showing off i guess uh, a little bit no, no it's a little sightseeing Mm-hmm. Which is part of the pressure. You had the uh, family on the ground watching. You had the uh, and videos rolling. Yeah, AOPA personnel taking video. So, so now that's a good takeaway, uh, both of you guys. What I mean, what about these external pressures? You, any comments on that? A little bit. That's really worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, it, we we definitely talked about that a lot beforehand about you know being willing to not do something or to go home early and, you know, what all these contingencies were. Um, and I still I still felt it. I mean, we got a late start, even though we had said we had all day to get there, you uh-huh. know. It was later than I had envisioned in my mind, and so I kind of felt that stress of, oh, there's people waiting for us. But I had somebody back here text and, and let people know that we'd be a little bit late. Uh-huh. So let's talk a little bit about packing up, and either of y'all chime in at this. Okay, so you just hit something really key that happens to me all the time where I think I've got enough time to go, and then it takes longer to pack and longer to pre-flight and longer to go. With a one-year-old? <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, what's a, Matt or, or Sarah, what's a good, comfortable cushion that you would advise other parents to add to a packing-type arrangement, like 30 minutes, an hour? For us, I feel like the average whether it's car or, uh, or flight, is uh, about an hour. Because you never know what she's going to do. And then there's the diaper. T- we, we changed her diaper on the tarmac uh-huh. um, just below the, the plane. So we, we'd all packed up. We pulled the plane out of the hangar, and she had a full diaper. Uh-huh. And, uh, and with the whole thing, we were planning around her normal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whole thing we're planning around her normal nap time. Because okay. that was the idea. Yeah. If we could get her to sleep for the majority of the flight, yeah. she'd be more comfortable. We'd be more comfortable. Sarah could focus on flying. And I wouldn't have as much to deal with in the back of the plane with the baby. And uh, so we did that, and it worked. But that was part of the the stress that went into packing. Sure. Because she's already tired, and she's getting there, and she's ready to go down. Now we're trying to get in the plane as fast as humanly possible because she needs to go to sleep. Gotcha. And we don't want it to happen beforehand. Yeah, you want to mess up the, the her, her little rhythms there, but also you want to make it comfortable for everyone. And, and really, you don't want to mess up the, the routine too much because that could affect the rest of y'all's trip, which is several days, you know, at put in bay. Well, and we discovered that on some car tr- trips where she slept for the majority of a six-hour car ride and then did not sleep at all that night. And so that made us a little apprehensive. (laughs) Oh, that's a key takeaway for other parents. uh, Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, go into that a little bit more for folks who might be new parents. So for for you, for flying, we talked about that a lot because we were planning, to, depending on the weather, we had to fly out either the next day or Uh the day after. And for for Sarah to get an effective night's sleep and already sleeping in a tent Uh in a different location, Uh 
uh, trying to maximize that, we needed to make sure that Naomi was going to be able to go to sleep and sleep the majority of the night, too. So there were all those comforts come into play. So as a pilot in command, you had to take care of your rest. You had mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe had to ascertain ahead of time certain things that would keep you rested and alert the next day. Right. And by that, we mean backing up. And then we got to go to sleep at a certain time. We need to get our daughter to sleep at a certain time. We need to eat dinner at a certain time yeah. before that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Timing is everything when you <laughs> when you have a toddler. Um, and I think, you know, for the short visit that we had, we did everything about as close to the right time as, as we could, knowing what we did. And Naomi, thankfully, was was actually great the whole time. She enjoyed, seemed to enjoy every aspect of it. And um, that was the neat thing that, uh, and you read a little story about this for us in the, um, in the Pilot Magazine, and uh, in the March Pilot Magazine, which people could probably get right now as they listen to the podcast. But um, she, you know, once y'all got there, you uh, greeted family, you had a good time. I mean, it did the aviation aspect really, you know, make that a lot easier for you guys to accomplish that? Oh, yeah. If we didn't fly, I don't know that we would have made it out there at all because it would have been, what, seven hours driving maybe, Um, Mm -hmm. which makes it a a, sort of an epic trip (laughs) because seven hours driving when you break that up and stop and, you know, let the kid out to stretch her legs, it, it, it becomes a full day affair. Oh, absolutely. So now, um, w- one, when y'all were up there, there was plenty of things to do uh, at Put-In Bay. Do you want to give us a, a, either y'all give us just a little bit of synopsis of what that area is like? Because it sounds to me like it is so cool. There's the campground. So there's the whole outdoors wooded area. There's obviously lots of lake to play on, uh-huh. uh, on, the, on the shore, all kinds of aquatic activities. But the, uh, the downtown area, lots of nice restaurants, all kid-friendly. Everybody we ran into there was... There were kids, there were families, there were everything. Anything you would need to keep a kid busy, but safe. And yeah. uh, so the even as simple as right, so the golf carts is the primary means of travel uh, on the island. How cool. So, yeah, and even Naomi at, at a year old seemed to really love the golf cart. <laughs> Something about the wind in your hair. You're you know, quiet. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Quiet and uh, just, just had a blast. That's neat stuff. And the food was good. I know you guys hooked up with family and all, but you, you commented about some of the restaurants that were really good. Yeah, we... Um we went to the Boathouse Bar and Grill, which is actually a restaurant that my mother worked at oh, almost wow. 40 years ago yeah. um, for a summer. And so we had to go there because of the family connection. Um, and then we went to, I think it's Pas- Pascales? Pasquales? Pasquales, yeah. Um, for, for breakfast the next morning, which um, apparently my grandfather used to like to go to whenever he would go to put in base how cool now at the campsite here at uh, south bass island state park did you guys cook and do breakfast or anything there uh, no we uh we we planned to we matt made a fire um after we had dinner but other than that we didn't really we had snacks and sort of you know yeah, that we, kind of thing. we had food available. Yeah. Naomi snacks pretty often. Yeah, so, uh, well, so yeah, having, little, little children do. So having the snacks available was uh, was good. The, but the the campground was was totally. They had everything you needed. So if if you needed some emergency food or water, perfect. That was all on site. Uh, showers, bath, you know, bathrooms, etc. Was all walking distance. So again, I mean, all the amenities were there, and that was a big part of the planning when we initially started doing this was making sure that those things were going to be there, available, and within reach. 
That's a good point. I know um, where I come from in, in Georgia, Jekyll Island uh, is a oh, yeah. really cool state park uh, just off the coast of Georgia. And the same kind of a deal where you can camp out there. Or, and they also have hotels. Uh, but you can camp out there, and it's really nice, and, and, and it's just a fun place to go with the family. So aviation opens all this up to us mm-hmm. and makes it a lot more convenient and uh, it really kind of helps us get there a little bit quicker sometimes. And we're, in y'all's case, it's a, a pretty good distance away. Yeah. So what are some key takeaways um, for, from this trip? What would you do different next time, if anything? And I'm, I know I'm putting you all on the spot, but think about that for a minute. What would we do different that would make it better next time? I would say um, non-spill cups that are actually non-spill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought Lake Erie in the end of September off Ohio. I'd never been up in that area before. So we packed, and, and we were thinking camping. So uh-huh. tent, uh, the baby. So we packed very warm, okay. and it was a hot weekend, uh-huh. uh, weather-wise. So. Well, and we saw it was going to be hot, but I was like, oh, in the tent, it'll get cold at night, and we should have all this extra bedding for Naomi, and we'll bundle her up. And then it was like, it was so hot. So the, the takeaway, I think, for us is, is definitely call someone in the area. Okay. Because um, even though we had family in the area, and we talked to them, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk weather, and we didn't talk clothes. We just talked getting there and, and uh, life support functions, but we didn't talk how to, what to wear. And even for the baby, that became a, a big issue. It got really warm that afternoon. Right. And uh, she needed to go down for a nap. And uh, it was just everything we had was warm. And, and then another thing you could tap into would be the airport network and the folks mm-hmm. at the FBO to give them a just chat with them. Because I usually like to call ahead of time and just talk to them and say, hey, uh, check the weather forecast out. You're, you know, you're there. What's it look like? And then they might be able to say, you know, oh, well, it's forecast to be a little bit chillier, but it's going to be hot this weekend. And, yeah. you know, bring shorts. Yeah. Y'all must have had an awesome time. Uh, there was a lot of preparation that went into it. Is there anything else that we didn't chat about that you want to bring up to the table right now? The only thing I thought about, and we thought about it, and we've reflected on it a lot afterwards, is uh, not to use the old Nike phrase, but just do it. It's, there's no, we thought about it, and, and afterwards we thought, wow, we really just did that. That that's because we were nervous. There were a lot of things to be nervous about, yeah. and uh, and it went great. But the you know some of the packing we could have done better. Those kind of things. But in general, uh, don't hesitate. It's we're so glad we did it, and we're planning a lot more trips in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that we know how much fun it is, and that it can be done, and not only can it be done, it was relatively easy, all things considered. Yeah. That's pretty good takeaway, Matt. I'm impressed. <laughs> Sarah's smiling at you. For folks who are listening to the podcast, you can't see, but they're smiling at each other. Sarah knows a lot more about the planning that went into the, the flying aspect of it. But that's cool. Y'all were a great team is what it sounded like. And you, you divided and conquered. You split up a lot of the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. No one person could do it. <laughs> right. Sarah, how about you? Any final takeaways? I think Matt covered it pretty well. I, I think uh, I think we're afraid of getting it wrong, um, but when you get it right, it, it really opens up a lot of opportunities. And um, I'm I'm glad we can fly together. And where's the next trip? <laughs> Probably the Outer Banks. How cool is that? And first flight, all that kind of neat stuff. I'm very envious. All right, uh, Sarah and Matt Diener, thank you very much for joining us on Hangar Talk. Thank you. uh, And, folks, y'all could uh, catch us uh, every couple of weeks at aopa.org slash Hangar Talk. We appreciate it. We'll talk to y'all, too, again.
So, uh, David, do you remember the first time uh, you took your daughter flying? I do, Ian. I yeah. took I took Lauren. She was just an infant. She was yeah. in a little car seat behind me. Yep. Same with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. But, but and she slept through it. She was fine. But same kind of deal where I put a headset on her and um, she didn't try to snatch it off. But I could tell it wasn't comfortable. Yeah. They don't love it in the beginning, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. It was like like a little pet or something trying to put uh, you know earmuffs on. Yeah. But uh, but she slept. My my daughter Lauren slept through it. She doesn't mind flying at all. I think she would be a very good aviator. Yeah. Now I wanted to get her hooked up with that soaring camp that you read about recently. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So the next generation, they're going to have all this at their at their fingertips. Yeah, that's right. All right. I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. You can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk on the Sporties Takeoff app and also on iTunes. All right. We'll see you next time, David. See you, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.